<clears throat> Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> Matthew 28 and verse 19. Okay, you there? It's known as the Great Commission. You're familiar with it as the Great Commission of Jesus. Before He ascends up, okay, verse 19, He tells the disciples, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, notice name singular, in the name, what is the name? Jesus. Jesus. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, even if you believe, if you did, and we don't believe that these are three separate persons, you still have to find out what the name is. Because it doesn't say names. It says name singular. And we know that name is Jesus according to Acts chapter 2. So go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. The same great commission, but worded by Mark. Mark sixteen fifteen, or he gives us a little more details. He says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Let's read that together. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Okay. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. They went forth, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. The Gospel of Luke. Luke 24. Same great commission for Jesus ascends up. Verse 46, Luke 27, 46. Still hear you turning pages, so I'll give you time to find it. Okay, Luke 26, with me? Okay, we'll start reading verse 46. What did I say? Sorry. 20, yeah, 24, 26. Okay. 24, 46. All right. Y'all know. Y'all know. <laughs> you know. I can't blame that one on my Bible. Yeah, the other day I was looking for the where you have to wear your daddy's clothes, you know. And uh, I gave you the right scripture, but I was on the wrong page in my Bible. 
And you can't imagine how much that drives me crazy. I'm looking and I'm going, I know I gave him the right scripture and it's not reading right. But I can't blame this one on the Bible. It's on me. Okay, Luke 24. Everybody together? Luke 24. Again. Okay. Luke 24, 46. I said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name. You see that? Among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So repentance and remission of sins are going to be preached in His name. So we know Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It talks about, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name, singular, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. According to the Gospel of Luke, it's His name, the name of Jesus. Alright? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, say, and to the rest of the apostles. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. So notice they are obeying the Great Commission. Matthew 20, 19-20, Mark 16, 15-20. And then Luke 24, 46 and on down. That was the Great Commission. Now we see them, those very disciples, obeying that. How did they obey it? By preaching this. Verse 38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. The subject tonight in the area of the church and church doctrine is water baptism. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the teaching and preaching of your holy word. God, that you would inspire me tonight to declare your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. To begin with, the question, I'm going to begin with a question is, what is the function and the meaning of baptism? Why do we get baptized? Again, what is the function of and the meaning of water baptism? Okay? There's different views when it comes to water baptism. What the function is, what the meaning is, and most importantly, what does it do for you? Look at your neighbor and ask the question, what does baptism do for us? That's what we're going to answer tonight. What does baptism do for us? What's the function? What's the meaning of baptism? And what does it do for us? Okay, first view is regeneration. Baptismal regeneration. Now go to John chapter 3. 
And I'm going to try to speak slow enough tonight so everybody can, can understand. In John chapter 3, the background of John chapter 3 is Jesus is, is talking to the greatest theologian in Israel. Okay? This man's name is Nicodemus. He's come to Jesus by night. And he says, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with you. And he did this at night. And Jesus, as he's talking to him, tells him about being born again. And he calls this man, he said, You are the master of Israel. And you don't understand what I'm saying. Now, if the master theologian of Israel, the, the greatest theologian, the master teacher in Israel, did not understand about being born again of the water and the Spirit, we are taking you on a very high level tonight of teaching. Okay? So, this man comes to Jesus. He starts out the conversation by saying, we know that you come from God. Because no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with you. And notice what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, do you see that? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now back up in the second chapter. Verse, you with me here? 23, notice. What sets the stage for this chapter is the previous verses of chapter 2 in John. Now when he was in Jerusalem, verse 23, at Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name. You see that? Many believed in His name. Okay? Now, for the modern day church who teaches that all you have to do is believe and accept Jesus. That's all you got to do in order to be saved. They're going to have to interpret or explain this passage. Because the Bible says, it's very clear here, that many believed in His name when they saw the miracles which He did. But notice the response of Jesus to this crowd of people. But Jesus did not commit Himself unto them because He knew all, in italics, men. And needed not that any should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. So the Bible says many believed on His name when they saw the miracles that He did, but Jesus did not commit Himself to them. You with me? Because the kind of belief or the kind of faith they had was not sufficient. So He says He didn't commit Himself to them. Uh, he didn't need anybody to, to testify of man, for He knew what was in man. Chapter 3, verse 1, There was a man. So chapter 3 is exhibit number 1. Okay? You understand what I just said to you? 
Okay, so Jesus said he did not commit himself because he knew what was in man. And then chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man. The first example, what we have here is a man that is very, very religious, but is, is in need of more truth. Okay? Do you understand what I'm telling you? Okay, so Jesus looks at this man named Nicodemus and he says to this man, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, right? Do you see that? Exhibit number one, the first man. This man then, a very religious man, needs to be born again. And he needs to be born again of the water and the Spirit. The term born again means regeneration. When you hear that big term, regeneration, that means simply the new birth. Look at your neighbor and say, new birth. So this man, who is the master teacher of Israel, if you could understand it this way, he might be recognized as the greatest theologian in America. Okay? And the fact that he is the greatest teacher in Israel does not make him saved. And, and just because a man stands behind the pulpit and he may be the greatest preacher in America doesn't even mean that he's saved. So we have a man here who is a, tr uh, a teacher, he's a theologian, he's a master teacher. He knows a lot about the Bible, but he still needs to be born again. So again, Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. I'm telling you, Nicodemus, what you need. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time in his mother's womb and be born? Jesus is not, not talking about natural birth. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unto thee, Nicodemus, remember, he's the example for all of us, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay? You see that? So this very religious man, Jesus is telling him, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit. You can't enter the kingdom of God. The question is, what is water and what is Spirit? Okay? So the first view is, when it comes to baptism, is the view is called baptismal regeneration. Does everybody understand that? And that this view is, and this is the term that's used by churchianity. It's not a biblical term as far as I know. Sacrament. Okay? Sacramental means that it is something that you do um, that brings you into a place of salvation. Okay? It has a saving work with it when you do it. Do you, does that make sense to you? The other one is ordinance. What is ordinance? We taught you last Sunday, uh, last Wednesday, what is an ordinance? When we talked about the Lord's Supper, we, ordinance is what? It's just symbolic. It doesn't, there's nothing in it, it doesn't do anything. When you, when you do it, whether it's the Lord's Supper or baptism, if it's an ordinance, there's nothing in it itself, it doesn't work. There's nothing that, that happens to you when you do this. Does that make sense? 
as far as salvation is concerned. So we have to ask the question when it comes to baptism, is it sacramental, which means it has uh, something in it that produces regeneration or brings about salvation? Or is it an ordinance, which means it's only symbolic? Okay, so tonight because we're teaching on baptism, does is baptism a part of salvation? Or is baptism just a symbol of the salvation that we have? That's the question we're going to try to answer tonight for you. So again, an ordinance means simply something that is ordained. Say ordained. It's something that Jesus commanded. It's ordained by Jesus. And because He commanded it of us, we do it. That's an ordinance. Something that Jesus commanded and we do, but it doesn't produce any type of saving work in our life. Okay? Where if it's a sacrament, if you do it, there's some kind of uh, grace, life, impartation, regeneration that takes place in your life when you do it. Okay? So, so the first few then is baptismal regeneration. That when you're water baptized, it produces regeneration. It produces salvation. It produces new life for you. Okay? And the teaching is that when a person goes down in water in the name of Jesus or they're sprinkled with water or, poured, or water's poured out on the top of their heads, that at that time, regeneration takes place by that act of baptism. Now, first of all, uh, let's define the word baptism. Baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. Alright, baptizo. There's other words connected to it, baptisma, and it means to be plunged, it means to dip, or it means to immerse. Okay? But different churches pour water on the person's head, they sprinkle water, and others immerse or dip or plunge. Now, we'll get into the mode of baptism at the end. But anyway, this viewpoint of baptismal regeneration is held by, and you're going to be completely surprised, because most of you know about the new birth and about being born again of the water and the Spirit and what that means, and you've experienced that, and for the most part, you understand it. But you'll be very surprised at who holds to the doctrine of baptismal regeneration. And that is that when, when baptism is performed, it produces salvation or regeneration in that person's life. Would you like to know who? Well, it's going to shock you. But Roman Catholicism holds to that doctrine. Okay? Now, they don't take you and they don't submerge you or immerse you. But, you know, if they pour water or sprinkle. But they believe. Roman Catholicism believes in baptismal regeneration. Alright? So when they take that person, that normally an infant, they pour water on its head or sprinkle water on its head, they believe that the Spirit of God is at work in that ceremony of baptism and, and is working and using that ceremony, what they call christening. Y'all awake? Okay. They call it christening. And they believe the Spirit of the Lord, when that baby, whatever, is christened, 
The Spirit of God is using that baptism, that christening, to save the child. So they do believe in baptismal regeneration. Okay? Now, <clears throat> very interesting, the word christening means Christ in. So when they take that water, okay, that I don't know, it's been a long time. See, i got a Lutheran background. In the Catholic Church, how do they do it? Do they sprinkle or do they pour? They pour? Okay, they pour? Alright, so they pour, right? They call it christening, am I right? Okay. All you Catholics out there, say amen. Am I right? Okay. Christening. Do you realize that christening means Christ in? So they believe, Roman Catholics believe, that when they are christening the child, they're putting Christ into the child by that work of baptism as they pour the water. Okay. Now, I was raised as a Lutheran. And I can almost remember, I know it's hard to believe, but I can almost remember when they took me as a little little kid and and baptized me. Because you know what? I remember that little handkerchief they give you to dry your head off after you get through getting... That's what I remember, that little handkerchief. Hallelujah. They get, you know, praise the Lord. Amen. That was a long time ago. All right? So anyway, Roman Catholicism believes in baptismal regeneration that the baptism in water alone imparts salvation as the Spirit of the Lord is working with that uh, event. Okay? You're also going to be surprised. And to be honest with you, I was raised a Lutheran. I was a little bit surprised to discover this. Lutherans also believe in baptismal regeneration, that it's essential for salvation. Just like the Catholic Church does, they believe that water baptism is essential for salvation. And that's something I didn't even know. And I was raised a Lutheran. So they also believe that it imparts salvation, but the way they view it, the Lutherans view it, it's more a covenant type of thing. That when you get baptized, it is a part of regeneration or a part of salvation, and it is basically putting you in the covenant family of God. Okay, y'all with me here? Say praise the Lord if you understand what I just said. Does everybody understand? All right, well, baptismal regeneration. Where, where do um, the Roman Catholic Church or the Lutheran Church or others, not just those, but others, get this? Do they get it from the Bible? Does baptism, is baptism essential for salvation? Is baptism involved in the work of saving us? Where do they get that and others get that? Well, I, I just read one of them to you in John chapter 3 where Jesus said, you must be born again of the water and the Spirit or you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And therefore, the water there is interpreted to mean or, li or is taken literal to mean water baptism. Okay? Now, I don't have to explain to you what I believe. And, 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 you know, and I know what you believe, but I'm telling you, I'm giving you things you may not know. Amen? Okay? Uh, so again, John chapter 3, Jesus said, except you're born again of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So they say, alright, there's the water. That must produce regeneration. 
Okay. Now let's go. We already read Acts chapter 2. This is another scripture that baptismal regeneration is based on. That it's essential for salvation or the new birth. Again, Jesus or Peter says in Acts 2.38, you there? I'll give you just a moment to turn there. You there? Okay, Acts 2.38, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. What for? For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And again, that passage is interpreted to mean baptism means water baptism. Okay? Now, let's go over to First Peter. First Peter chapter 3. Verse 18. First Peter 3.18. You there? For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, you're not just taking a bath but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. you understand that? So, the Scripture is very clear here that water baptism, as the Scripture says, doth also now save us. Okay. So we have John chapter 3. Water is a part of the new birth. Okay. We have in Acts chapter 2, it produces remission of sins. Uh, and then we have in First Peter chapter 3, water saves us. Okay, let's go to Titus. Titus 3, 5. Titus 3 and verse 5. <clears throat> Give you a minute to turn there. Okay, Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration, or the washing of the new birth, and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So the Bible is very clear how God saved us. Say, saved us. By the washing of the new birth, which is baptism, and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Okay? So those are four examples where it's very clearly taught that water baptism is a part of regeneration. 
Now I say a part of regeneration. Because we do not believe that water baptism alone produces regeneration. Alright? But we do believe, and I say we, Pentecostals, apostolics, do believe that water baptism, according to John chapter 3, according to Acts 2 and verse 38, and then 1 Peter chapter 3, and then Titus 3, 5, just to mention a few, according to the word of the Lord, that water baptism is a part of salvation or regeneration. Okay? But we do not believe that water baptism and water baptism alone will save you. Because there's a lot of people get water baptized even in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and go right back to the devil. They go right back to the world. Okay? And they, they may be water baptized in Jesus' name, but never get the Holy Ghost. So as a people, remember this, we do believe water baptism is essential for salvation. It is a part of the new birth. Amen? But we do not believe that that's all that you need. Okay? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if anybody asks you, comes to you, or tells you, oh, you're one of those people who believe in baptismal regeneration. That when you get water baptized, that, that that's all you need to do, you're saved. And you'll tell them, no, we don't believe that. We believe it takes the Spirit too. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Alright, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse... Let me get there, so... Is everybody with me? I know I'm moving slow. We'll kick it in gear in a minute. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For one, one Spirit, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. So now we find out that there's a baptism of Spirit that baptizes us into the body. So remember what Jesus said, except you're born again of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there's a baptism of water in the name of Jesus. And then there's a baptism of Spirit. Really, there's one baptism, two parts. We're not saying there's two baptisms. There's one baptism into the body of Christ, two parts, water and Spirit. Okay? So, where we may differ uh, when it comes to others' viewpoint on baptismal regeneration is we will say, Baptism in water in the name of Jesus is one part. The other part is spirit. And you need both. Water and spirit. Okay? Praise the Lord. Because especially if you're teaching Bible studies and you tell people, you get baptized in Jesus' name, you'll be saved. Well, you're, you're not in the Bible. You're not in the Bible. That's only one step. That's only one part. Okay? So again, say with me, one baptism of two, and there's two parts, water and spirit. 
Well, why don't we just say two baptisms? Baptism in water and baptism in spirit. Because Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go there. Ephesians 4 and verse 5. And I know y'all know all this and you can play with your kids and everything else and it's no big deal. But it, Amen. Ephesians 4 verse 5. One Lord, that's why you filled up the church by yourself. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Notice it doesn't say two baptism. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So if you've got a baptism that's water, and you've got a baptism that's spirit, it has to be one baptism made up of two parts. So we don't believe in baptismal regeneration. We believe it's a part. That it is essential for salvation, but it is a part. All right? Now let's go over here and let's look at another passage. The next view is covenantal. Covenantal baptism. Colossians chapter 2. Okay, some churches hold that the reason why we're water baptized is to put us in covenant with God. Okay? Are y'all with me? Okay, Colossians chapter 2. Let's start with verse 10. Are y'all there? Alright. Ready? You are complete in Him which is the head of all principality and power in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Now, now what's Paul doing? Well, in, in order to be a part of the Abrahamic covenant in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 17, the Bible says that a person had to be circumcised, a man, male child, had to be circumcised in their foreskin on the eighth day. And, and when they were circumcised on the eighth day, that put them in the covenant community of God. And the Bible says, and if, they weren't circumcised. God says, you have broken my covenant. Okay? And, and if you broke His covenant, you were not a part of the, of the people of God. So when Paul in Colossians is talking about circumcision, he's taking you back to the Old Testament type. The Old Testament type was physical circumcision of the foreskin, which put them in a covenant relationship with God. But notice what Paul says in New Testament times. It's not the circumcision, it's a circumcision that's made without hands. not a physical circumcision. Okay? And putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, how? By the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. Okay? So the Bible tells us here that the circumcision, New Testament circumcision, is water baptism. It, we no longer, it's not necessary 
for the male child to be circumcised on the eighth day to be in covenant with God. Let me say it again. To be in covenant with God. Now whether or not you circumcise your child, that's your business. But I'm saying to be in covenant with God. You're not in those days. What puts a person in covenant with God according to the Word of the Lord is water baptism. Okay? You with me? So looking at that passage then in Colossians 2, it's called covenantal baptism. So some churches view baptism, it's covenantal. Okay? And it may not be regenerational. It may not, you know, uh, be a part of salvation or essential for salvation. But it puts you in covenant with God and it puts you in covenant with the church of the living God. The church. Okay, say amen. amen. So it's for covenant purposes. Does that make sense? You understand that? Okay. Presbyterian churches believe in covenantal baptism. Many free churches, it's called the American Free Church, many free churches believe in covenantal baptism. Right? You with me? Okay. Um, the Salvation Army doesn't even believe it's important. So the Salvation Army doesn't even baptize in water. They, they just, they say it's all about the Spirit of God. I mean, I want to make sure I got this right. Covenantal baptism. Presbyterian, many reform groups, as well as others. Okay? New Testament equivalent of circumcision. Are you with me? Okay, no. Scratch that on the Salvation Army because that, that moves in the symbolic category. So if you're taking notes. Covenantal baptism, again, Presbyterian, many reform groups, not the free church. I'm glad I checked it. Many reform groups as well as others. New Testament equivalent of circumcision. And now this is why infants are baptized. If you believe in covenantal baptism, then you will baptize infants in order for them to be in covenant. And they say, well, look, in the Old Testament, they were circumcised on the eighth day. So we have a child, eight days old, that was circumcised. And when that was done, it put them in covenant with God. So, then we need to baptize infants in order to put them in covenant with God. And the basis for that decision, again, is they see baptism is covenantal. Okay, let's go over and look in Acts 16. <laughs> a couple of scriptures that talk about families getting baptized. Okay, Acts 16. Alright, so remember when he was in Philippi, Paul, Paul and Silas in Philippi, and uh, they were in prison, and they were singing praises unto the Lord. You remember that? And the jail began to shake, and a great earthquake took place, and the jail doors opened up, and the keeper of the prison was about to commit suicide, and Paul calls out to him and tells him, don't, you know, do yourself no harm. Right? Remember that? 
And then verse 29, Then he called for a light and sprang in and came in trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas, brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, I don't think the man, when this jailer, this Philippian jailer, meant how can I get born again and saved and go to heaven? He's worried about losing his life because possibly some prisoners have escaped. So when he says, you know, what must I do to be saved? It's about how to save his life. And then Paul uses it to teach about eternal salvation. Okay, let's look at it. Verse 31, And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. So, what did Paul say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Right. Okay. What will be the results? Thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night. Remember, this is after midnight. Washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them. They rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. And when it was day, the magistrate sent, sent the surgeons saying, let those men go. So anyway, you know the story. So after midnight... This Philippian jailer, they tell him to believe on the Lord, Jesus, he'll be saved. And then they take him and they teach him the word of the Lord. And when they teach him the word of the Lord, it tells us that he and all of his, his house, were saved. Were baptized, right? Look at it. Verse 33 took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straightway. Verse 32, They spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, was baptized. He and all his straightway. Okay? All right, so what we have here is a household. The Bible tells us they heard the word. The household hold the word, and they were all baptized in his house. So what we see then, based on this scripture, this covenantal viewpoint that the Presbyterian churches and the Reformed churches, I'm glad I checked that out and get that right. Uh, one of the reasons why they baptize infants, so on and so forth, is to put them in covenant relationship with God. Okay, now I'll come back to infant baptism in just a moment. But I'll make a real brief statement for you. There is absolutely no example in the Bible of a child being baptized. Nowhere. Okay? But I'm just telling you that this is the thinking behind infant baptism is that this is alright, is a part of being uh, in covenant with God and they're outside of the covenant until they're baptized. So we're going to take these babies and we're going to baptize them. And look, the Bible says the whole house of the Philippian jailer was baptized. And so they infer that there were little babies in the household. Okay. But the Bible didn't say there was little babies in the household. Does everybody understand that? So that's the covenantal viewpoint of water baptism. Now, 
Then there is the symbolic viewpoint. Romans chapter 6. Symbolic viewpoint. And, and this viewpoint here again is, is seen. Uh, we're just going to obey the commandments of the Lord, God commanding us, and it doesn't do anything for you. Let me say it again. The symbolic view of baptism is it doesn't do anything for you. It is only symbolic of what you already have. It's sometimes called the believer's baptism. Now, please, I pray to God y'all are getting this. This is so important. So in this, this viewpoint is the person's already saved, but when they get water baptized, it's only symbolic of what they already have. So it's, they're saved and then they get baptized and it's just a symbolic thing. It's just because we're obeying the command of God to do it. It just represents uh, salvation. Say so Romans chapter 6 is where this is often taught. Romans 6 and verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Do you see that? She's talking about water baptism. Tells us we're baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So let's look at four again. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. Okay, so in that passage, are we literally... I want you to understand what I'm trying to show you here. Jesus died on the cross. They put Him in the sepulcher. He rose again the third day. Is he still dead? No. Does he, does he literally physically die with us when we go down in water in the name of Jesus? Then it has to be symbolic. Okay? That, that our water baptism in this passage is symbolic or representative of what Jesus did. Correct? Because he's not literally dying again. And we're not literally dying physically. So it's, it's, a, it's a spiritual truth. It's a spiritual application. It's symbolic of the death, amen, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And as we go through that process of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, it is symbolic. It's a spiritual event. Amen? We're not being literally taken to Jerusalem and put in the sepulcher with Jesus because He's not there. And we're not literally going there and being buried with Him in that sepulcher. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So there is some symbolism to baptism that it does represent His death, burial, and resurrection. Now, what happens, notice what it says, verse 4, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So what, we're, what is happening is that 
We're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we go down in water in the name of Jesus, we are, we've died at repentance. We're being buried in baptism. We're coming up. We died. We're buried. We're coming up to rise to walk in newness of life. Do you see that? Say praise the Lord. Okay, so Romans 6, then these verses here, this, this is the teaching that's used to say, alright, it's only symbolic. It only represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's, it's only a demonstration of what you already have as a believer. That you're already saved before you're baptized in water. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, the passage itself tells you that when you're water baptized, it's not just just symbolic, you're baptized into Jesus Christ. You're being baptized into His death. You're identifying that with that in a very spiritual way. But it's not literal, it's spiritual. Alright. Go to Mark 16. So that this is called the believer's baptism, that it's only symbolic, that it, it doesn't do anything at all. That you're already saved and it's just a demonstration of your salvation and it, you've already experienced salvation and it doesn't do anything at all. It's just an ordinance. You're just obeying the command of Jesus. Alright? That's their view. Uh, and again, it's often called the believer's baptism. Let's look in Mark 16. See what Jesus said. Mark 16, 15. He said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Notice it does not say, He that believeth and is saved shall be baptized. You see, the symbolic view of baptism says you're already saved and then you get baptized. Correct? And that baptism doesn't, do, doesn't have anything to do with your salvation at all. Which brings me to what I was saying a while ago, putting it under the wrong category. That's why the Salvation Army doesn't baptize in water. Because they say it's all a work of the Spirit. Let me say it again. The Salvation Army holds the symbolic view to the point they don't even baptize people in water. Okay? Are you all with me? And now notice, again, Jesus didn't say in Mark sixteen fifteen, He that believeth and is saved shall be baptized... He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It is not just a symbolic act which does nothing for you. It is a part. According to the Bible says, listen, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. It's not that you're saved and, and because now that you're saved, now you get baptized. Very important for you to understand that. Okay, so praise the Lord. You're with me up to this point. All right. Now, when we look at the Scriptures, the Pentecostal view, apostolic view is this. 
the regenerational aspect of water baptism is there. It is essential for salvation. Okay? Um, but we believe that there is spirit baptism. Correct? So you need the water for remission of sins, but you need the spirit as well. Praise God. One baptism, two parts. When it comes to Colossians chapter 2, uh, amen, are you with me here? Where it has to do with the covenantal aspect, we believe that as well. We believe that it does put us in covenant relationship with God. So we are, in, in, we are covenantal in our baptism. So in a sense, we're regenerational. And in a sense, we are covenantal. And we're also, although I hate to use it because it's sort of weak, in a sense it's symbolic because it does represent the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Although I do believe there's very spiritual, powerful, saving effect that takes place when we do that. Okay, are y'all with me here? Alright, so, hallelujah. We'll, sum, we'll bring the summary all together in just a moment. But before we go any further, let's talk about infant baptism. Okay? When we look at children being baptized, again, it's based on the covenantal viewpoint. Um, one other quick thing before I go any further on the symbolic view. Who, who are some denominations that you can think of that believe in the symbolic view? Baptist, Baptist, okay. I already talked to you about the Salvation Army is another that believes in that. The free churches in America believe in that. Let me look at my notes here because I want to make sure I get this. Um, is it symbolic? Yeah, and, and uh, this, you know, Church of Christ believes it's essential. I know for sure, because I know them, know some. Uh, but uh, we have the Baptist hold that view. Um, the free churches believe it's optional, and the, the American free churches it's optional. You don't even have to be baptized to be a member of the church. Okay, and the Salvation Army don't even do it. So it's real symbolic to those groups. All right. And I know y'all probably know others as well, but uh, those are the ones that I really want to uh, to bring to your attention. Okay? Are y'all with me? Alright. What about infant baptism? Then again, why do people baptize infants? Because they believe in the what? The covenantal, the second view, the covenantal viewpoint. Okay? Um, first two, regenerational baptism, regenerational baptism, that view and covenantal baptism, that those two are sacramental. They, they are involved in a saving work in the person's life. The third one, the symbolic view, is an ordinance-driven baptism, which simply means we're obeying God, but it doesn't do anything for you. You've already been saved before you did it. Okay. Now, infant baptism, there's two views, and I'm going to give you this word, write it down. Two views. One is pedobaptism, or the pedobaptist view, teach that infants should be baptized in order to enter into covenant with God. 
Correct? Amen? Alright, so in that viewpoint then the, the children must be baptized in order to be in covenant. So they baptize infants. Correct? Okay. Now, the other view concerning infant baptism is that that view is that they must have a true confession of faith before they're baptized in water. Okay? That the individual has to be old enough and mature enough and have enough understanding of the gospel in order to have a true confession of faith or repent. That's the second view of, of infant baptism. Okay, so we've got two extremes. Well, there's not an extreme on this one, but this one extreme is, okay, pedo baptism. We've got to baptize them as infants in order for them to be in covenant. And the other one says, well, we can't baptize an infant because it, uh, an infant doesn't have a profession of faith for itself. Those are the two views. Now, the Scripture, again, we have no example of a baby ever being baptized in the New Testament. So somebody comes to you and says, well, I believe that a baby needs to, has to be baptized in order to become God, in order to be saved, a baby. We'll say, well, show it to me in the Bible. There are no examples of babies being baptized. In fact, I'll say this, there's no example of a child being baptized. We have examples when the children were coming to Jesus. You know, and the disciples were saying, you know, basically, Jesus, you don't have time. Or leave Jesus alone. He doesn't have time to mess with you little kids. Amen? He said, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Let them come to me. Amen? You with me? So what we believe is that we dedicate children to the Lord. We don't baptize babies here. Amen? We dedicate them to the Lord. Why do we dedicate them? When we dedicate them to God, does that have a saving grace? Does it produce salvation for that child? When we pray over them and we dedicate them, does it? When we have a baby dedication on Mother's Day, we always tell y'all, we're going to dedicate this baby to God, but it does not impart salvation to this child. Right? So what does baby dedication do then? It is a dedication of that child that the family is going to raise it in the church and when it gets old enough, lead it into true faith. True saving faith. It's really more, I'll be honest with you, when a child's dedicated to God, it's more about the parent dedicating themselves to God to raise that child in the church and to raise them up to a point that they will come to saving faith on their own. Really, that's what dedication is. And I can't tell you how many babies I've dedicated. Uh, and, you know, okay, the parent says, we dedicate this baby to the Lord. And they're not even in the church. So that vow they made to God was a big lie. It was a big lie. Because they were really making a dedication of themselves to raise that baby in the church and to show it the way of salvation. And then when it gets old enough to be water baptized, what has the ability to know, amen, the truth, know right and wrong, 
has the ability to repent. Amen? Then, then, and at that time, it can experience baptism. So we fall into the second view. Uh, instead of the, the pedo-infant baptism, where we believe that we've got to baptize babies, because we have no example of that in the Bible. We have examples of babies being dedicated to God. Amen? But we don't have examples of them being water baptized. So we dedicate them, and when they get old enough to repent, they understand the gospel, they can make a true profession of faith on their own. And when it comes to very little ones, real little ones, I personally like to have the witness of the Spirit. Rather than just them coming up and saying, Hey, Pastor, I'm ready to be baptized. Because a lot of our children know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot about God. Because they've been taught by some very good Sunday school teachers here. So they know a lot about God. And so they'll come and say, Pastor, I'm ready to be baptized in His name. Can I get baptized in His name? I don't want to baptize them too early. So I say, alright, well, um, we want to make sure that you understand what you're doing. And I'll tell you what, here's what I tell these children. When you get the Holy Ghost, see, I know God has accepted you. And I know your heart is right with God. If I can see the evidence of you speaking with other tongues, if you get the Holy Ghost and God baptizes you in the Spirit, I'll baptize you in water in Jesus' name. But I don't want to take them too quick, put them down in the water, and then when they get about 25, they come up and say, now I really want to live for God. I went and did my drinking and my partying and my dancing, and now I really want to live for God. Can you baptize me? Well, we baptized you when you were seven. I don't remember it. I don't know what happened. So here we have to do it all over again. Amen. So we, they need to know the seriousness of water baptism. It's very serious. Um, they need to have the ability, according to the Bible, it says repent and be baptized. Can a baby repent? No. Can a baby have true profession of faith? No. So we wait till they can repent, take the first step, have a true profession of faith in Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, understand that. And then they, when they're little, speak in tongues. We baptize them. How many children today are baptized in water? Stand. If you've been baptized in water in the name of Jesus, go ahead and stand. All right. Now, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I don't think Nate's a children, but let's say, let's say, let's say eight, eight and under. If you're eight and under, how many have been water baptized in Jesus' name? Eight and under. Okay. Praise the Lord. How about ten and under? <laughs> ten and under. How many ten and under have been baptized in water in the name of Jesus? I didn't realize I was that old. How about twelve and under? All right, see, I'm getting more here now. <laughs> okay, so praise the Lord. Amen. So evidently, see, the age of accountability is... It's not the same for every child. The age of accountability, when God holds you accountable individually, uh, it depends on the maturity of the child spiritually and their understanding as to when we baptize them. Okay, so here we go. People that are really concerned that we're not going to baptize an infant or pour water on them or sprinkle them, they're really concerned that that baby's going to die and go to hell. 
Well, it is possible for a child to die and go to hell. It is possible. Okay? But you need to understand this. If the mother or the father has been born again of the water and the Spirit, then you set that child apart. Amen? Because you are in covenant with God. It automatically puts the child in covenant with God until they get old enough to either reject the covenant or believe in the covenant for themselves. Does that make sense? What about the children of the unbeliever? You've got an unbelieving mother and an unbelieving father and they don't take their children to, to church and amen. They don't believe in God. They are risking the, de- the, 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 the lost, lo- that that child could be lost. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pastor, you're saying all babies that die and their parents weren't in the church that they all went to hell. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. But I'm just telling you according to the Bible, that a person has to be in covenant with God, a, a, a parent in covenant with God in order for that child to be saved. And the Bible is very clear that that child is set apart by that believing, by that believer. If the, the husband's an unbeliever, if the husband's an unbeliever, but that woman's a believer, her children are going to go to heaven. I believe with all my heart. Do you understand? If, so, if they were to die, because that mom's a believer. Amen. Or maybe that father's a believer and that mother's not a believer, but that father's a believer. I believe that, that those children are automatically in the blood covenant. Amen. Until they get old enough to make up their mind if they're going to be in the covenant of God or not. Okay? So we don't have to worry about it. But I think you need to worry big time if you haven't been baptized in your name and have the Holy Ghost yourself and you're a parent. You need to be very concerned not just about your soul, but about your children's soul. Somebody said praise the Lord. You with me? The woman of God shared with us some things Sunday night. God has allowed her, took her into... Uh, envision into hell and uh, God allowed her to see people in hell and young child did you tell us that it was a young child you saw there yeah see okay amen So you need to be concerned about your kids. And, and I'm just going to tell you as a loving pastor, you know, it's, it's all right. Um, you're baptized in His name. you got the Holy Ghost and you love God with all your heart. But are you living for Him? Because if those children are looking at parents that, go, that come to this church and they profess that they're Christians and they live a different lifestyle, at home. Or they look at you and they see the way they see the way you live at home and they see the way you are in church. You're completely dead to the things of God. I promise you that child will act just like you. 
If you fight the church of God and you're in the church, if you fight the church of God, your child's going to fight the church of God. If you're lukewarm and carnal, you can't expect your child. They see you lukewarm and carnal every time you come to church and the way you live. You can't expect your child to be spiritual. So it's good that you're in the church today because you have influence. But you want to make sure you're on fire for God because your kids are watching you and my kids are watching me. They don't want to see me living one way out there outside the church and then coming here acting all hypocrite and acting like, you know, I'm really on fire for God. If they don't see me worshiping here, they're probably not seeing you worshiping out there. Because if you can't worship God here, don't come in here and tell me how much you love Jesus and how much you worship God all the time. You can't worship God in here. You don't worship Him out there. You don't respond to the Word of God here. You don't respond to the Word of God out there. And they're watching your every move, my friend. I'm telling you that what you do outweighs what you say. So I believe when we're baptized in water and have the Holy Ghost as parents that our, our children are in that blood covenant. But you need to realize, and I need to realize, there's an influence that they're seeing. We pray to God. We pray to God as parents. We're influencing them the right way. I personally think a lot of times that the second generation, as far as family is concerned, has such a hard time living for God because they've seen the hypocrisy of the parent. Now, they, they may still go off. They may still not live for God. But it better not be because of me or because of you. Better not be. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So we don't water baptize the babies, but we dedicate them. And we pray to God that you'll raise them in the church. We pray to God that at some point they'll come to saving faith on their own. And until then, they're automatically in covenant. The Bible said they're sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. That's another reason why you want to bring them to church. Because you're in covenant with God and as you bring them to church, you are setting them apart unto God, sanctifying them unto God by the, by the Word of God and prayer. They're being set apart right now, whether you realize it or not, as I'm bringing the Word of God, the Word of God is setting your children apart unto God. And your prayer for them is setting them apart unto God. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. So is everybody on the same page? So if you get somebody say, well, I want my children baptized in water. I'm, I'm afraid they're going to die and go to hell. You ask that mom or that dad. Have you been? That's the question right now. If you do it, your children will have an opportunity at some point on their own. Does everybody understand the Word of the Lord? Okay. And then tell them, say, well, show, show me in the Bible where there was a, a child ever baptized in water. Okay, amen. Y'all with me here? Alright, are y'all okay? Alright, in closing, let me go through some things real important for you so you'll understand. Uh, I'm just going to go through my notes here one by one. Baptism, the Greek word baptismos, we're dealing with the mode now. How do we get baptized? Is everybody pretty clear as to what we believe? Okay, so we believe it's 
A part of regeneration, we believe it's covenantal. We believe it is all symbolic in a way. It is symbolic in a way. It represents Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? Praise the Lord. We don't water baptize infants because they can't believe on their own. They can't make a profession of faith on their own. And they can't repent on their own, which is the first step. So we don't baptize them in water. But as long as the parent is, they're in covenant with God until they get old enough to choose for themselves to either live in the covenant or enter in the covenant, live in the covenant, or reject it. Praise the Lord. Amen? So bring them to church because they're sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. Okay. Mode. How do we baptize? What's the mode of baptism? First of all, the word baptism, again, baptismo in the Greek means to dip, to plunge, or to immerse. Alright? So there's, depending on what denomination that you're a part of, some pour, some sprinkle, and some immerse. Biblically then, according to the Bible, and listen to this, all Greek literature the New Testament was originally written in Greek. You with me? We have it in English today. There's other languages that it's translated into. But originally, it was written in Greek. And I know some say, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written in Hebrew. Prove it. Bring the manuscripts. Okay? And until you have the manuscripts and you can prove it to me that the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was written in Hebrew, then I'm just going to keep saying what I'm saying. The New Testament was originally written in Koine Greek. All Greek literature, all if you study Greek literature, okay, the word baptism never means to pour and it never means to sprinkle. It always means to dip, plunge, or immerse. In the New Testament... Baptism is always. Baptizo or baptisma always means to plunge, dip, or immerse. Okay? So the mode of baptism is that way. We do not sprinkle and we do not just pour people, pour water on people's head. Well, we, we bury you. I mean, the Bible says we're buried with Him in baptism. Wouldn't it be horrible if they took you out to the graveside if you had died, took you out to the graveside, you know? I mean, they don't even dig a hole for you. They throw a little dirt, get a cup of dirt. What is it? It's a cup of dirt. Well, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, if they just poured a cup of dirt on you or sprinkled a little dirt on you, would you be buried? No. When they bury you, they put you in, in whatever, the ground of the sepulcher, and they seal you. They cover you, right? Okay, that's, that's what baptism means. If we're going to be buried with Him, that means we're going down in that water. We're buried with Him. We're coming up. We're buried with Him in the likeness of His death. We're coming up out of that water in the likeness of His resurrection. Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So that's, that's why we take you all the way under. Amen. I mean, it would be a lot more convenient, wouldn't it? If, we just, if you, just, you didn't have to change clothes. You come up here and I just sprinkle a little water on you. Okay? Or pour a little water on you. But no, we got to put the whole you down. Amen? Now, something, something you need to know that even in Old Covenant days, you know, the male 
the, the male was physically circumcised and that male was put in covenant with God by physical circumcision. But do you understand that a woman cannot be physically circumcised? How many of you understand that? So how did the woman enter in the covenant? She got water baptized. <laughs> and I'm looking at the New Testament bride of Christ. Amen? And the woman, the bride, should be baptized. Even in old covenant days. Say praise the Lord. So you got to take them all the way under, bring them all the way up. Hallelujah. You think about it on the day of Pentecost, the book of Acts, when the Holy Ghost was poured out. You got about a how many? About a how many? Hundred and what? About a hundred and twenty? About? Doesn't say a hundred and twenty, it says about. The book of Acts is a book of abouts. This is about 120, right? Got the Holy Ghost. And then, praise the Lord. Amen. And then they're pre preachers preaching and about, about, how many more? 3,000. And they took and baptized all those people. Where, where, where'd they get the water to do it? Well, first of all, they got the Holy Ghost in the temple. When they went up into the hour of prayer, amen, they went to the temple of the hour of prayer and the Holy Ghost was poured out. They got the Holy Ghost in the temple, not the upper room. And there in the temple, there was immersion baths in that temple. And they got the Holy Ghost right there in the temple. They took those people and they baptized them in water in the name of Jesus. And those immersion baths in the temple. They praise the Lord. God's good. God is awesome. Okay, let's go over here in Titus chapter 3. So we bury people. Submerge them, immerse them, plunge them, dip them. It is called the washing of regeneration, Titus 3.5. The washing of the new birth. So we believe, according to the Word of the Lord, that when a person is water baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, that they have experienced the washing of the new birth. Right? Okay. Titus, are you there? Titus 3 5. Not by works of righteousness, which is your own good works, of course which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. There it is. It's very clear that that washing or baptism is a part of the new birth. Say new birth. Therefore, if you have a birth, then you're entering into a family. So that the way that you're entering into a family, are you all here? Water baptism the Bible says that the washing of regeneration, the water of the new birth, it's a part of you entering into the family of God. Listen. And not just the family of God. You understand what I'm saying that? But the church family. Because 
See, a lot of people think, well, I got baptized in the water in Jesus' name and I got the Holy Ghost, so I'm baptized into Christ and I'm, I'm in the family. You know, I belong to God. I'm a child of God. But you never see them back in church again. What's that about? Your baptism was for a birth. It was a part of a birthing process. Amen? Your boy, God is your Father. But who's your family? You say, well, God's my family because I've been born again. Well, God's your daddy, but who's your mother? Galatians says the church is the mother of us all. But you want to talk to me all day long? I don't need the church. Well, the Bible tells me you were born into the family of God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. So we understand about being connected to God by being born again. But sometimes people don't understand about being connected to a church. And that's part of baptism. Okay, Ephesians 3. Alright, verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The whole family of God in heaven and earth is named. What's the name? Jesus Christ. Wow. So the Bible tells me that there is a family of God in heaven and earth. Well, how did you become a part of that family of God, a part of the church? By being born into that family. So you cannot survive being outside of the church. Because baptism is not just to connect you to God. It's to connect you to a covenant family. It's called the church. And the whole family of God is called by that one name. Look at your neighbor and say, you, you have been called by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When did that happen? When you were water baptized in Jesus' name. Remember before the fall? The Bible says very clearly that when God made Adam and his wife, He called their name Adam. He didn't call her Eve until after the fall into sin. People didn't have different identities until after the fall. When Adam and Eve were originally made, created by God, He called their name Adam. When the fall took place, now we got Adam and Eve. So Jesus Christ comes. He's the last Adam. And when you get water baptized in Jesus' name, now you're in Him. Your identity is Jesus Christ. And just like before the fall, they all had one name. After you get born again, you're all called by the same name. It's the name of Jesus. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise.
So what we need to understand then, water baptism is not just to connect you to God, it's to connect you to a covenant family. See, I just wonder, I just wonder personally, what God will do with people who never were part of the covenant family of God. The church. I'm not talking about in, in foreign countries where you may be the only one only believer there. But I'm talking about here in America. You were water baptized in Jesus' name and you may have received the Holy Ghost, but where are you? That happened in order to make you a part of a family. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a part of the family of God. And I'm a part of your family. Okay, in justification, that means in right standing. You know, there's justification, there's sanctification. Y'all understand that? Justification, how you, how you get right with the Lord. Baptism works in justification by removing the record of sin against you. Okay? So when I was baptized in water in the name of Jesus, I was justified. I was, in, I, became, I was in right standing with God. He took the record of sin that was against me and removed it away. What does baptism do for us in the area of sanctification? Sanctification is holiness. When you're water baptized in Jesus' name, justification, the removal of the record of sin against you, water baptism in Jesus' name puts you in a position of being holy before God. Amen? You're now walking. When, the, when God looks at you, you He looks at his, you as pure as Jesus Christ Himself. When you are baptized in water in the name of Jesus. So justification, the way in justification, sin is removed from the account by God. In sanctification, we have purification brings into holiness. Romans 8.29 It brings us into holiness. Set apart to God. Right. Amen. John 3, 5, and 6. It tells us it's a part of the new birth or regeneration. Correct, right? Let's go over to Galatians 3. 3.26. While you're turning there, Going back to what we were talking about the church, do you realize that baptism in water in the name of Jesus is your initiation right into the church? And I personally believe that really when we talk to people especially that are new and they want to be water baptized in Jesus' name, we need to tell them what you're about to do is not just to get you connected to God. You are becoming a part of a covenant family. You're becoming a part of a church. It's your initiation right into the church of Jesus Christ. And you need to be a part of that body. All right. Amen. 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 Galatians, alright, three. I appreciate you being real patient with me tonight. <clears throat> Verse 26, For you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ 
have put on Christ. Wow. This, this is very clear. Galatians 3.26 tells you how you get in Christ. It tells you how you get into Him. Into the body of Christ. It's showing you how to get from up, out from underneath that old Adam. If you're in that old Adam, the Bible says all will die. you got to get out from underneath that old family. And the way you do that is by being born again and you get in a new family with a new head, the last Adam. Amen? And so it tells you that, again, for you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ. See how important baptism is? You are putting it's okay. Somebody says, well, what baptism is it talking about? When Paul's writing the Galatians church, is he talking about spirit baptism or is he talking about water baptism? Well, we already told you there's one, one baptism, two parts. Right? So when we look at this in Galatians 3.26, baptism into Christ is literally putting on Christ. You have to have both spirit and water baptism. It's not just spirit, but it's water baptism as well that puts you in Christ. Gets you out of the old Adam. Gets you into a new society. Gets you out from underneath the old Eve. Amen? When I got water baptized in Jesus' name, I got out from neath the old Adam and got connected to the last Adam, Jesus Christ. When I got water baptized in Jesus' name, I left the old Eve. And I got in the new Eve. And that's the church, the bride of Christ. So you, there has to be some, some point in your life where you got out from underneath that old Adam and that old Eve if you're going to be saved, if you're going to be in the family of God. And the Bible is very clear the way that happened. As many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Isn't that awesome? The Roman Catholic Church says that Mother Mary is the new Eve. The Bible is clear. The church is the mother of us all. Amen? How many of y'all are part of that family? Now, a long time ago, I mean a long time ago, I read a book. It's called Unseen Hands. It was about Tecla Miriam. And Tecla Miriam got the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. And he had a vision from God. God showed him. He saw a vision of the Lord. And he saw himself standing outside of Jesus. And yet he had the Holy Ghost, but he was outside of Christ. And he was showed what he was missing in his life was water baptism in Jesus' name. God gave that man a supernatural vision to show him that he needed to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. If he wasn't, he was outside of the body of Christ. Galatians 3.26 Know you not that as many as, as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's beautiful. How many of y'all married? When you got married, did you keep your old name? 
you wanted to. Well, some of you do. Hispanic culture, they do. They just add the other name to it. You know, my wife and I, were signing documents, and so I signed mine, Jerry, and I'm not going to tell you my middle name. Nobody knows my middle name here, do you? What's my middle name? Good. All right, so you sign documents, you got your whole name, you know, Jerry, and then your middle name, and then Carter. And, uh, and then Christina, what's her middle name? Zuniga. Well, that's her maiden name. But it became her middle name. And I'm going, what's wrong with that? It's like, you know, she wants to hold on to her old identity. She just can't let it go. You know. But anyway, for most of you, when you got married, you took your husband's name, didn't you? If you're going to be in the bride of Christ, there's a, at some point, you took his name. You took his name. Praise the Lord. Now I'll let God determine, I'll let God judge who He wants to let in His heaven. Okay? Praise the Lord. But I'm going to obey the Bible. And the Bible is very clear. In Galatians 3.26, again, for you are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Alright, so when you went down in water in the name of Jesus, what happened? You got baptized into Christ. You literally put on Christ spiritually. You put on Christ. You're now part of the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Literally can be interpreted or translated into the name. So that now we're moving into the mode, not just how we baptize in the water, but what name do we baptize in? The Bible says, in the name of the Lord Jesus or into the name of the Lord Jesus. It literally means to have the invoke, have the name of Jesus spoken over you as you're being water baptized. Amen? To have it invoked. That's awesome. Now, very quickly, I got a couple of more things to teach you and then we'll be done. If you go to Acts chapter 8. There was a small problem in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 2, We have people baptized water in the name of the Lord Jesus to be filled with the Holy Ghost, speak with other tongues. Amen. And then you get to Acts chapter 8. Verse 12. You there? This is in Samaria. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Awesome. There's water baptism, so they must be saved. They must be on their way to heaven. If you believe in baptismal regeneration, that's all it takes. They are. But if you believe the Bible, 
they believed in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also when he was baptized and continued with Philip and wondered, behold, the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So are you with me? So they noted they got a problem here because we got people who've been water baptized in Jesus' name. But when they came up out of the water, they didn't speak in tongues. So we got to get Peter and who? Who's got the keys to the kingdom? The keys of the kingdom? Peter. We got to get Peter and John down here because we got a problem. We got people that are baptized in Jesus' name but don't have the Holy Ghost. So we could say it this way here's water. Get Spirit. They've got water, but they don't have spirit. We got a problem here. Let me just put it to you this way. When the apostles looked at a New Testament believer, let me say it to you this way. They could not fathom a New Testament believer that was not water baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. The apostles could not fathom that at all. Because in that early church, when you got water baptized in Jesus' name, you got spirit baptized at the same time. It was one baptism, two parts at the same time. And now we've got these people going down in water in the name of Jesus, but they didn't get the Spirit. We've got a problem here. Hurry up and get Paul, uh, Peter and John. Get them down here. We've got water, but we need Spirit. And so the Bible says, are y'all with me? Verse 15, Peter and John come, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet He was fallen on none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Wow, how'd they know they got the Holy Ghost? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. Are y'all here? They got it the same way they got it in, the, in Acts chapter 2. Speaking in tongues. Are y'all with me? Do you understand? So they had water, but not spirit. Go to Acts 10. And Peter's preaching. And something awesome happens to the Gentiles. They get spirit... But they're not water baptized yet. So in Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Amen. Y'all with me? To him give all the prophets witness that through his what? Name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost, who was preaching? Peter. The Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the Word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles was also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. 
They've got the Holy Ghost. They've got Spirit. Is that enough? The Bible says, verse 46, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them. It's a military term. He ordered them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Because he's speaking to a military man, Cornelius. So he uses a military term. It wasn't optional. To them, it wasn't symbolic to them. Amen. Baptism was was essential. They've got spirit. Get water. Amen. Not optional. He ordered it. Right. So you come across some people. They're water baptized in your name. Don't have the Holy Ghost. They need. They've got water. Get spirit. You come across some people, they've got the Holy Ghost, but they're not baptized in water in Jesus' name. They've got Spirit. Get water. Because that New Testament church, those apostles, could not fathom a New Testament believer that wasn't water baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Are y'all with me? Okay? We've already talked about dedication and infants. And we talked about mode. Water, immersion, submersion, dipping, plunging. And we talked about in the name of the Lord, literally. Alright? So praise God. What's the biblical truth then? What is the function and meaning of baptism? And what does it do for us? It's a part of regeneration. Amen. It's not just something God ordered us to do that doesn't do anything for us. It's not optional. Right? It is essential to New Testament salvation. So it's a part of regeneration along with being baptized with the Spirit, having repented of your sin. It is covenantal. It puts you in the covenant family of God. Amen? In relationship with God in covenant, but with the church body as a whole as well. Amen? It is only symbolic in the sense that we... Uh, it represents Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and our identification with Him in that. Amen. So, I hope you understand what baptism does for us, what its function is, and what it means uh, by these lessons as uh, we are teaching you the Word of the Lord about the church. Amen. God bless you. Appreciate you being here. Let's stand. Father, we come before you right now. We ask you, God, to take your Word and plant it into the hearts of every individual here today. We thank You, God, for giving us an opportunity to study, to understand Your Word and what baptism means, what's its function, and what it does for us. We thank You, God, for the opportunity that You gave each one of us to hear the truth, to repent, and to be baptized in water in Your name and to be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Thank You. We believe that truth, that Gospel message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I encourage you today, again, many of you repented of your sin, been water baptized in Jesus' name, don't have the Holy Ghost, you have water, get spirit.
If you have the Holy Ghost and have been water baptized in Jesus' name, you got spirit, get water. If you want to be a true New Testament believer. Hallelujah. The last thing I'll say before I let you go. One of the greatest writing theologians that has ever written was W.A. Criswell. A Baptist preacher who preached to thousands of people. W.A. Chris was a Baptist. In the Baptist viewpoint, baptism is symbolic of salvation that a person already has. But W.A. Criswell, when he, when he read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, so on and so forth, when he read the book of Acts, he admitted it gave him a lot of trouble. He admitted it. One of the greatest speaking theologians alive today is Malcolm Smith. When Malcolm Smith reads the book of Acts, he said in that early church there was no such thing as a Christian that wasn't water baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. If you stick with the Bible, you won't have trouble. Amen? If you stick with the Bible, you'll experience the very thing that New Testament church experienced. And you can find your roots back into that New Testament church today because we preach that same message. Hallelujah. So as a preacher here, it doesn't cause me trouble because I know I know what the Bible says. Amen? And, and I, would, I don't want to be a, a, one of them Christians that don't fit into the New Testament plan of salvation. I thank God for the truth. So I hope this has been a blessing to you and I'm going to dismiss you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here.